Section number four of A Hypocritical Romance and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Softstep GD. A Hypocritical Romance and Other Stories by Carolyn Ticknor. A little study in common sense. Whatever lesser or greater articles of faith we have, the foolishness or wisdom to question, there is one to which we all subscribe, one which rich and poor, and high and low, adopt in pleasing unison. The wise man, in his wisdom, still adheres to it, and even the fool has wits enough not to despise it. This is the doctrine of common sense. Nothing avails you if you have not common sense, we had claimed at frequent intervals during our journey from the cradle to the grave. We early learn to reverence and respect it. Though we may fail to doff our caps to age or to be reasonably civil to our betters. As we increase in years, we generally value still more highly sound common sense and fancy that most of the ills which have beset our pathway have crept in when this admirable commodity was absent, and so, no doubt, they have. And when all age advances, we ever throw the weight of our experience to the balance with cool common sense, of which we prate insufferably to all young persons, as though their chance of happiness depended solely on the attainment of this desirable quality. Most of the luckless beings who alight upon the surface of this earth arrive here in a very foolish state, and needs must spend the best years of their lives in fostering the little grain of sense which they have been endowed with at the start. Mrs. DeForest Bristol's daughter, Juliet, was not one of these. She came into the world Minerva-like, armed and equipped with an almost incredible amount of common sense. She was born preeminently sensible, and at an age when other children behaved themselves, or misbehaved themselves, like the unreasonable babies that they were, she bore herself with an intelligence and dignity which quite electrified her parents and other relatives. She early scorned a baby's rattle as a source of entertainment, preferring to watch the movements of those around her, while listening to their conversation. And if she did sometimes consent to bite upon a rubber ring, it was because she realized that by doing so, she hastened the arrival of her least progressive teeth. Juliet never screamed violently for no cause whatsoever, as did her brothers and sisters in their infancy, nor did she show exaggerated glee over some brightly colored ball or painted top. She never made the entire household wretched because her dinner chanced to be delayed or woke them up at some unearthly hour solely because her morning nap had been abridged. She seemed to comprehend, without the least ado, that dolls were stuffed with sawdust or cotton wool, and to accept the lamentable fact with philosophic calmness. She understood that dolls were merely playthings and not alive, and therefore did not weep or make a fuss when they were injured or destroyed. No, she was far too sensible for that. 
Juliet's keen perception early did away with myths regarding Santa Claus, whom she discerned at once as old Uncle Charlie done up in fur with a painted face on. And after that, no urging or persuasion could induce her to hang up her stocking just for a make-believe man to play he came and filled it. So she received her presents with the older members of the family and was duly informed from whom they came. The fairies and the mischief-making brownies she dismissed with a disdainful wave of her small hand and banished Mother Goose and nonsense rhymes into the farthest corner of the nursery shelves, while pointing out to her surprised mamma that the Arabian Nights were wrong, wrong stories right straight through. If at times Juliet disobeyed her parents, she invariably received the necessary punishment with an emotion akin to gratitude, because she realized that any chastisement administered was for her good. When any of the other children slapped her, she never attempted to slap back, because she could foresee that, by doing so, she would provoke another and still harder slap, and so be worse off than before. Mrs. Bristol never needed to urge her daughter to brush her hair or wash her face and hands, for Juliet at once perceived how much the application of sponge and hairbrush contributed towards the attractive personal appearance. The necessary warnings which were fruitlessly bestowed upon the other children were never lost upon Juliet. She did not rush pell-mell into the dripping grass in her best shoes, or swallow quarts of deadly ice water overheated, or eat green apples, or touch poison ivy to see if it was really poisoned. When she was eight years old, Juliet protested that she must really be allowed to change her name to Julia. That seemed to her so much more sensible a name. She expressed much wonder at her mother's having chosen such a sentimental name for any child, and Mrs. Bristol, who really was a very sentimental woman and doted upon high-flown names, assented somewhat ruefully to the arraignment of her tastes in this respect and to the substitution of Julia. Nor did she dare to own to her own stern mentor, and when she had selected the much-scorned Juliet, her wayward fancy had strongly leaned towards Hildegard. Julia grew up a most obedient and thoughtful child, who could be trusted to look out for the other children, who were several years her senior, and to prevent their getting into mischief. She always carried her waterproof, umbrella, and rubbers when it looked the least bit cloudy and, in consequence, was never drenched by unexpected showers, although it was astonishing to note how often the weather cleared, having the thoughtful Julia to trudge home laden with the emblems of her forethought not in use, whereas, if it did rain, the other children usually scrambled under her umbrella and reached home quite as dry as she. Julia was very much respected by her schoolmates, as such a highly sensible girl must needs have been. But she was seldom asked to share the foolish secrets which delighted so many of the schoolgirls, or to take part in any youthful escapades. Julia, the others knew, had too much sense for any such diversions. So they asked her to show them how to work their difficult examples, and then went off and ate their chocolate cream and pickles with someone else. All the teachers held Julia in high esteem. They always knew what to expect of her and where to find her, and were not disappointed.
she studied faithfully because she realized that if she wasted her precious school days she would be very sorry in her after years moreover she knew that at her age the mind grasped new ideas more readily than at a later date and understood that information then acquired would remain with her all through her life miss mills the oldest teacher in the academy declared that in all her experience she had never come across a mind so logical and finely balanced as julia's she regarded her with steadily increasing interest and pronounced her a most remarkable young woman yet miss mill's favorite pupil was elsie brown a perfect flyaway who never could remember where the lesson was and when she did forgot to learn it although julia was not the oldest sister her brothers invariably consulted her on questions of importance and brought her their torn garments to mend appreciating her sensible advice and clever needlework but they confided their youthful woes their towering aspirations and idle daydreams to their other sisters who were not quite as intelligent as julia and it was rose or winifred who helped to manufacture highly decorative missives to be dispatched in an old st valentine's behalf julia's brothers were very proud of her ability for she excelled in everything she attempted she could throw a ball swim ride row or play tennis with the best of them and seemed to understand just how things should be done even before she had been shown the way her brother's friends too equally admired julia's prowess and held her up to an example to their sisters but it was rose or winifred whom they invited to walk with them or to go for a paddle in their canoes this certainly seemed a very curious mistake for them to make for the young fellows knew that julia was in every way superior to her sisters who were really very senseless young women foolish enough to fancy that the young men who took them out canoeing were very clever and remarkably fine fellows whereas their sister could have told them that they were very commonplace the young men all appreciated julia's powers of conversation for after they had talked to her they went away declaring that she was as intelligent and bright a young girl as they had ever met and if they sent back bunches of violets and boxes of candy to her sisters and not to her it was because they felt that she was quite too sensible to value such trivial things julia enjoyed remarkably good health although in early childhood she had been more delicate than all the other children for she had always taken the best care of herself while her sisters were often very reckless about taking cold she always went provided with extra wraps and her precautions invariably preserved her health unless perchance on some occasion she insisted upon putting her wraps on someone else more thinly clad than she her common sense although it kept her well did not however ensure her sisters and so she often was obliged to nurse them and take them gruel and bathe their aching heads with weak cologne which was almost as tiresome as having some ailment herself julia was always popular at parties because she danced so gracefully and talked so well and yet her sisters always got more favors in the germans than she for every one knew she was too sensible to mind whether she had favors or not while other girls were very much provoked if they did not receive a goodly number julia was with all a very pretty girl 
but no one ever mentioned the fact because all knew that she thought more of intellectual worth than the mere superficial beauty which was only skin deep and bound to fade away in a few years so no one dreamed it would have pleased her to have been told her eyes were brilliant or her teeth like pearls they saved such silly speeches for her sisters and talked to her of science literature yes even politics they could discuss intelligently with her and she had sense enough to recognize the value of such conversation though possibly she would have very much enjoyed the other kind at times julia would play the piano for hours at a time while the others danced and nobody felt troubled because all knew she could play dance music more easily and better than any of the rest and was too sensible to mind whether she danced herself or not moreover if the other girls were called to play they would invariably expect some man to hover close to the piano to turn the music over while julia always said that it was much more sensible for all the men to dance and then she played without her notes there was one specially attractive man who seemed particularly fond of julia but she was far too sensible to offer him any encouragement he would never converse with her intelligently on any of the weighty topics which usually interested her but reveled in a perfectly nonsensical discourse which would have certainly disgusted julia had she not had the sense to recognize beneath this flippant speech a fine and sterling character which reconciled her to a great deal of his frivolous conversation and he favored her with a most generous amount he used to talk to julia as foolishly as if she had been rose or winifred and would make complimentary remarks about the color of her eyes or the greek outline of her profile instead of talking literature or ethics as did her other friends julia who could not but feel regretful at the superficial way in which so fine a mind expressed itself strove patiently to talk to him on more improving subjects although her zeal was wholly misinterpreted by rose and winifred who said that she was not so fond of talking sense as she pretended this young man even went so far astray from paths of common sense as to beg for a lock of julia's hair which she of course refrained from giving him and actually stole one of her photographs from her eldest brother's dressing table after she had most sensibly refused to give him one this she regarded as a dreadful piece of folly but she had sense enough to make no fuss about it and not to mention it to her two sisters so the young man kept the picture when he came to call he did not even ask to see the other members of the family but told the maid that if julia was not in he would come again some other time julia was far too sensible to favor such a line of action and always called in rose and winifred who did not know that he had specially refrained from asking for them and freely took part in the conversation not dreaming that he might have actually preferred to see julia alone at first this used greatly to annoy the caller who considered that he was being treated shabbily but after some little time he became reconciled to rose and winifred and never failed to ask for the young ladies this same man was extremely fond of chess and used to drop in very frequently to play with julia who generally could beat him she played so fine a game and after they had ended a long and scientific struggle he would suggest that after such a contest they really ought to step out onto the cool veranda to see the moon and get a breath of air 
and she would readily assent, knowing that it was very beneficial to fill one's lung with pure fresh air before retiring for the night. Now, although Rose and Winifred did not play chess, they often hovered near and watched the game, and when the visitors suggested that they adjourn in search of oxygen or moonlight, Julia's common sense would not ignore the fact that pure, fresh air was also beneficial for Rose and Winifred, who in their turn had not the sense to realize that the young man might perhaps prefer a tete-a-tete with Julia, but joined the chess players without waiting for further urging, which they undoubtedly would never have received. As they inhaled the evening breeze on the cool veranda, the young man would devote himself to Julia, while Rose, who was invariably on hand, sat idly thrumming her guitar. She made a very pretty picture as the moonlight fell upon her, as both the others could not fail to realize, though Julia was the first to call attention to the fact. And the visitor, having once had his attention directed towards the picture-sick musician, glanced frequently at her as he continued his conversation with her sister, and it was hardly strange that his mind sometimes wandered from the intelligent discourse he was enjoying to Rose's fitful melodies, or that he even irrelevantly asked her to sing him this or that pet song instead of answering at once some question which Julia had propounded. As the long summer evenings crept by, the visitor's interest in Rose's songs increased, owing to the heat which lessened his enthusiasm for chess which never could have equaled Julia's, who would have played willingly with him no matter to what altitude the mercury had climbed. Yes, the young man's interest in chess had certainly declined, and though he had declared, in times gone by, that he enjoyed this favorite game above all else, he now showed no desire to indulge in it at all, and, as they sat upon the porch, his conversation— which I regret to say showed little of the intellectual quality which Julia had endeavored to inculcate, was oftener addressed to Rose than to her sister. In fact, he hardly noticed that Julia often slipped away and left him there with Rose, or if he did, apparently he did not mind it. For Rose was very charming, although not intellectual in the least, and looked at him with an undisguised admiration which Julia, even she had felt, would have been quite too sensible to have exhibited. And so, at last, Rose and the visitor drifted away from Julia altogether, and she, seeing that her society was easily dispensed with, had too much sense to intrude where her company was not particularly desired. Therefore, it came about that when the young man came to call, he asked for Rose, who, not being sensible at all, did not feel called upon to urge her sister Julia to join them. And one day, Rose and the young man, who had been so devoted to her sister, became engaged, and he forgot that he had stolen Julia's picture, or had considered chess the finest game in all the world, so much greater was his enthusiasm for music, especially that played by Rose on her guitar. When the engagement was announced to Julia, she kissed her sister and extended her hand to the young man who had once wanted a lock of her hair. But when the latter gaily said that he should claim the privilege of saluting his future sister, she swiftly turned and left the room. I always thought that Julia barely tolerated me, the young man said, but now I almost feel as though she actually dislikes me. To which Rose, who knew her sister better, only answered evasively, 
Never mind. She will get over it in time. And Julia went and locked herself into her room and sat for hours at her desk, gazing at a small package of letters fastened together with an elastic band. She deemed Blue Ribbon very foolish, which letters she read over slowly several times before she tore them up. After that, she sat for a long time trying to convince herself that Rose would after all make the young man a great deal happier than she could ever have hoped to. But her good common sense refused this consolation and told her plainly that this was not the case. So she sat motionless and watched a scrap basket where she had thrown all the torn up package of letters. But she was far too sensible to cry. And Rose married the man who used to play so many games of chess with Julia, and no one ever dreamed, except Rose, and she never told the dream, that Julia cared. She was as sensible and practical as ever, and it was owing to her clear head and clever management that all the wedding festivities went off so smoothly. When you are married, Julia, Winifred cried enthusiastically after the bride had taken her departure, you won't need anyone to manage things for you. You understand so perfectly how everything ought to be. Julia did not reply at once, but turned and walked over to a long window and stood there looking out for some time onto the veranda where, in the silver moonlight, she had thoughtfully discussed so many intellectual themes with the young man who had just driven away with Rose amid a shower of rice. I am too sensible ever to marry, she answered quietly. And so indeed she was. End of section four. Recording by Softstep GD.